Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. From my childhood, I have been a huge fan of all things DIY. Like, is anyone else like me? Like you, your Home Depot is your place or Hobby Lobby or whatever you're, I, from, I just remember as long as I was a kid, like I loved this idea that I could do things by myself. I remember when I think I was probably 10 and I decided I wanted to be a hairdresser when I grew up and so my two younger brothers would be my first clients and I sat them down and I think the bowl haircut was in, in is a very relative term, and, and, but I actually put a bowl on their head and I cut their hair and I think to this day they're still in therapy about it. But I loved the idea of being able to do things by myself and you can imagine as someone who loves that as much as I do, when I discovered the world of YouTube, day life made, right? I learned how to make risotto via YouTube. I learned how to change my bicycle tire tube. I changed out my headlights on my car. I colored my hair. I did a good fade on my boy. I mean, like, I changed the condenser in my refrigerator. There's, like, nothing you can't do with YouTube. Like, it's amazing. And I love this idea of just being able to say, I did this by myself. And there is something that is just so American about this idea of DIY, right? This independence, or like to give a great compliment, we might say that a guy is a self-made man. Or that girl, that woman, she is an independent woman. The, the, the most popular funeral song of all time is Frank Sinatra's, I Did It My Way. Like we are obsessed with this idea of independence because it feels so good to be able to step back and say, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I did this, I created this, I made this all by myself. And I believe God wants to speak to that part in all of us today because there's something we have to know. In this season of life where God is calling you to go, where he's calling us to go, when it comes to your purpose and your destiny, there is no DIY. There isn't. Jesus said it in John 15, 5. He said, apart from me, you, you can do nothing. Ouch. We have this series, Burn the Ships, and I believe it came on Preston's heart because he knows that God is calling us collectively into a new season, but also you. There are things in your heart God's called you to do from a child that you've been holding on to and you've wondered why they aren't happening in the way that you think they should happen or you've been praying about them or you've almost even given up on some of those things. But in order for us to move forward and advance and take new ground from the enemy's territory, there are ships in our harbor that are going to have to be burned because if not, we'll be tempted to retreat, we'll be tempted to turn back, and it will keep us from advancing to where God is calling us to go. So this series is essential, and each week we're going to be calling out one of these ships that has to be burned. And this week's title is Declaration of Dependence. See what I did there? Declaration of Dependence? Some of you. Um... It's fine. Declaration of Dependence. And it came from last week's message on repentance. And if you weren't here, you probably should leave right now and go download it because it was so, so, so good. And I sat at this altar and I had an argument with God about this very thing in my life. 
And so it's fresh, it's real, it's something I'm walking through real time and I've walked through in different seasons of my life. But I believe if we are going to step into what God has for us, if you are going to step into the purpose that God has for your life, you have to burn the ship of self-sufficiency in your life. And so we're going to talk through what that looks like today. And we're going to look at the life of Moses. And throughout scripture, Moses is one of the greatest leaders we see. He led the children of Israel out of slavery and through the wilderness towards the promised land. And God used him in a mighty, powerful way. But it didn't start out like that for Moses. See, his life was divided into three sets of 40 years. And the first 40 years of Moses' life were rocky at best. See, at that time, the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. And life was not easy for them. It wasn't good. And the Pharaoh at the time was intimidated by this growing number of Israelites. And he was afraid that they would get too powerful. So he issued a decree that all of the males at that time that were born should be thrown into the Nile River to die. And it just so happens at that time that Moses' mother is pregnant with him. She gives birth, and she sees Moses, and she thinks, this kid is amazing. Like, what mom hasn't thought that, right? My kid's so special and beautiful. And she says, I'm going to hide him. I'm going to keep him. I can't throw him in the Nile River. So three months, she hides him. And when he gets so loud that she can't conceal him anymore, she decides. She puts him in a basket. She puts him in the Nile River, and he floats down the river to the, basically the arms of Pharaoh's daughter. She picks him up out of the water. And Moses' sister is kind of like creeping along, watching this whole thing happen. And she's like, hey, do you want me to go find a Hebrew woman to nurse this baby for you? And she's like, yes. She goes and she gets Moses' mother. She brings the baby to him. She nurses him until it's time for him to be weaned. And then Moses' mother drops him off in the arms of Pharaoh's daughter. And he was raised in the palace. Knowing his full first half of his life that he was a Hebrew and he didn't belong in the palace. He should have been thrown into the Nile River like all the other male babies that were born when he was born. But here we have him. And I wonder if as a child he looked around and thought, why did I, like, why am I the only one? Like, why did I get saved? And I wonder if there was something in his heart, even stirring then, that was like, I think I'm supposed to do something with my life. Looking and seeing the Hebrews being persecuted and being enslaved and being bullied I wonder if that wasn't okay with Moses. And even then, in his first part of his life, was that idea of being a redeemer and a deliverer coming up in his heart. That God had a purpose for him. And we know it's true because in Exodus chapter 2, at the second 40 years of Moses' life, we see this desire to end the suffering of his people start to play out. Exodus 2.11, it says, Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews. And he saw how hard they were forced to work. And during his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, he killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. And I think he thought, like, I am here to be a deliverer to my people. Like, I am here. I have arrived. I'm going to save them. I know that I was born for this. But what happens is he discovers really quickly that they don't see him as that redeemer. In fact, the next day he's called out and they call him basically a murderer. And Moses realizes really quickly that they don't see his redeemer gift. In Acts 7, 25, it says that Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them. But they didn't. I wonder how many people haven't seen the call of God on your life. 
the dreams and the things that God's placed in your heart and you thought it's so evident, can't they see it? Why don't they see that I was born for something great? But oftentimes what happens like Moses is we know God's called us. We know that there's things he's put in our heart to do. We see the family that he's called us to build. We see the impact that we think we should have on our community. We know it's in there, but like Moses, we take matters into our own hands. And we say, I'm gonna make this happen. Here I am. And in our own self-sufficiency, we attempt to walk out God's plan for our life. When I am self-sufficient, my trust and my confidence are in my own ability, my own wisdom, and my own power. That's a problem with self-sufficiency. When we're resting and trusting and relying on what we can do with our own bootstraps, muscle, strength, we are limited to all that we can do. It is impossible to accomplish God's purpose for my life in my own strength. I cannot do it, and neither can you. This one-liner isn't in your notes, but you need to write it down. It says this, as long as our strength is our source, as long as our strength is our source, our strength is our limit. That's your limit. Whatever you've got in the tank, if that's your source, that's where you end. That is the cap. That is where you stop. That is where you are limited because you are your own source. And so I hate to be the bearer of bad news and all the women empowerment t-shirts at Target would probably throw me out of the club because I need to let you know today that you are not enough. Sounds really good on a shirt, as a meme, a soundbite, I am enough. We're not. And it's a hard truth to come to grips with that I have a choice to make. I can be independent and self-sufficient or I can walk out God's plan for my life, but I cannot do both. I can't do both. I have to choose. Do I wanna go on in my own strength and my own power and make it happen or do I want God, what God has for me? I cannot do both. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 says this, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. And yet later in Galatians, we hear this, oh foolish Galatians, you started out in the spirit and then you wound up in the flesh. Like it's, we understand like we need Jesus to get to heaven, but we think our destiny and our purpose can be walked out in our own strength. And when we do, we limit ourselves and we will never walk out what God has for us. So that is why self-sufficiency has to burn. And in Moses' life, he saw what happened when he took matters into his own hand and it landed him, it landed him back in the wilderness, hiding out for 40 years. So here we have Moses at 80. He's decided, you know what, forget the deliverer, forget the redeemer. I'm going to have just a small, quiet life as a shepherd here in Midian, hiding out. And so that's what he does. And then we see what happens in the third set of 40 years of Moses' life. And I find it interesting that the first two chapters of Exodus cover 80 years of Moses' life. Everything he could accomplish in his own strength came down to two chapters. 
But the third set of 40 years, when Moses comes to the end of himself and he decides that he no longer wants to live a life of self-sufficiency, the things that happened during that time span finished the book of Exodus, 40 chapters, went into Leviticus, went into Numbers, and went into Deuteronomy. Those are the things that God did with the final 40 years of Moses' life when he determined, I don't want my way. I want your way. I don't want to do it in my strength. I want to do it in your strength. We must come to the place where self-sufficiency is burned in our lives, never to revisit it again. I love the word that Preston used for that repent last week. He said one of the definitions of repent is to burn up as if to never revisit again. We have to burn self-sufficiency in our lives. So here we have Moses in chapter 3 of Exodus, and he is at Mount Horeb. And the definition of this word Horeb is literally dry, desolate land. And I feel like that is what it feels like. You've probably been there too. When you get to the end of yourself, and you've seen what you can accomplish in your own strength, and you're just disillusioned because you thought you could do it, and you thought, I've got this, I've got this. Turns out I, in fact, do not have this. And we can find ourselves in this desolate place where we are at the end of our own strength. And that is where Moses encounters God. In Exodus chapter 3, he sees him in a burning bush in the middle of Mount Horeb, in the middle of his desolation. And that's the place where everything turns around. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So we come to this place that we understand why self-sufficiency has to burn in our lives, why it will no longer get us to where God is calling us to go. But how do we do it? How does that happen? Because it's a whole lot easier said than done, right? It's easier to have a, like an idea that I want to, I don't want to be independent. I want to depend fully and totally on God. But yet we find ourselves time and time again handling things in our own strength. And I believe this passage in Proverbs 3, 5 is simple, but it is the key and it is essential into us really burning the ship of self-sufficiency in our lives. So we're going to look through this conversation that Moses has with God and throughout Moses' life. We're going to see four things that can happen when we burn the ship of self-sufficiency and how we burn the ship of self-sufficiency. So the first thing is we have to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. For Moses and for us, we have to come to the reality that independence is often rooted in the fear of depending on others. Think about Moses' life, like the beginning of his life. How unstable was his first few years? Who's my mom? Who's taking care of me? I'm a Hebrew, but I'm in the Egyptian palace. My people are, like, he's probably wondering, why couldn't I just come from a normal family? Have you ever asked that question? This is just me. Why couldn't I just come from a normal family? And we come to know that our self-sufficiency, our self-sufficient problems are usually rooted in trust problems. And they're trust problems that we learn at a very early age. What happens is our lives are chaotic, trauma comes, and we come to find out that the people that we think we should be able to trust to be what we need them to be, we can't trust them. And so we believe the lie that we have to do it on our own. 
Think about the, the things that have gone in our lives. Maybe, maybe it's not super traumatic. It doesn't matter exactly how big or bad it was. It actually matters how, what we made it mean in our lives. And when we come to the place that we determine, I can't really trust people, we begin to feel like we have to do it on our own. And we strap our purpose and our destiny to our back and we just start muscling through life. And so in order to burn the ship of self-sufficiency in our life, we have to come to address those trust issues where our truster got broken. In Exodus 3.3, it says, Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why this bush does not burn. He sees this bush on fire, and he notices in the middle of his desolation that this bush isn't burning. And in that bush, when he turns aside, he encounters God. And I think one of the keys for us to address the trust issues in our heart, to be able to say, God, I trust you with my whole heart, is to begin to look at the desolate places in our lives and see where God is at. Where is he? When I look back at my life and I see some of the darkest seasons, I believed in my life that I was alone in those moments. And I remember coming to this wrestle with God that said, God, where were you in that moment? I couldn't see you. How, how did I get here? Why, am I, why do I feel so alone? And maybe you've been there as a young boy or a young girl or a man or a woman whose situations come and you found yourself and you just don't know where God is. You can't see him. You didn't see where he is at work and you believed the lie that you were alone like I have in my life. And if we'll, like Moses, stop and really look aside and see, God is all along in those places, even when we can't see him. Even when we, it doesn't seem apparent. And I remember asking him, God, where were you? I couldn't see you. And his response was so sweet and so reflective of the fact that I watched way too much 24 in that season. But he said, he showed me this glimpse. And it was like this like scene from Jack Bauer and there's like a car and there's like phones and guns. And he, he said, I was staging your rescue. I was staging your rescue. You didn't see me. You couldn't see me at work, but I was there. I was close. I was near. And I was staging your rescue. And I believe that if we'll go back in our lives and look at some of the seasons where we don't believe that we could see God and take the time to look aside and see him. And so throughout this, this message, I have fire starters, ways that we can kickstart the burning, the ship of self-sufficiency in our lives. And one of them is to make a practice to go back and look at your life. God, where were you? And ask him and let him show himself to you in those moments. So we have to see God. And the thing that happens next, I love so much, Exodus 3, 6, God says to Moses, he speaks out of this burning bush and he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face and he was afraid to look at God. For all intents and purposes, Moses basically was an orphan, right? His parents were alive, but he had this experience of not really knowing where he came from. And, and although he had physical father and mother and he had an adoptive mother, he had this orphan mentality that I am alone. 
And we can adopt that in our own lives too. And I love the fact that the first thing God speaks to when he speaks out of this bush is he says, I, you may feel like an orphan, you may feel all alone on the backside of this mountain, but let remind, me remind you of the heritage of your faith. I am the God of your fathers. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he reminds him that while his family on earth might be sort of jacked up, we're in good company, right? That God was his father and he was at work and he had a lineage and a heritage that he could identify with that could change his identity. And so do we. So do we. So are there areas in our lives that we need to begin to see God as our father? Because if we're going to trust him with our whole heart, our whole heart, we can't hold back any of those broken pieces. And you may be saying, I trust God with my marriage. I trust God with my finances. But there are some places in our heart that we can be holding back because they got broken at early years and in pivotal moments. And we have to go back and say, God, do I need to see you as my father in this situation of my life? And so as a fire starter, I want us to step back and look and go, God, is there any area in my life, if I'm going to go forward, if I'm going to burn the ship of self-sufficiency in my life once and for all, God, I got to give you my whole heart. And I got to fix those broken trusters. And it's one thing to say, trust God, and it's another thing to trust God, right? You can't just trust God more by me saying, hey, you really need to trust God. It comes by discovering who he is. Trust is a response. And when we discover that he is a father that is trustworthy, trust becomes easy. And if you're having a hard time trusting him in an area, that means you need to find out how he is trustworthy in that area. So we have to look and say, God, where do I need to see you as a father? And so the second thing we have to do is not lean on our own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding. And Moses sees God in that moment. He calls him and he says, you're going to be a deliverer. And he accepts the call and he says, great. He leads them out of slavery. He leads them through the Red Seas. He sees the miracle way-making God because Moses chose to live a life of dependence. And we may sing that we want to see the way-making God, but until we choose to live lives of dependence, we may not see the miracles of God that we want to see. We have to choose to live a life of dependence, and that's exactly what Moses did. In Exodus 3, 11, it says this, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children out of Israel? I, th I feel like it's like Moses saying, like, I don't have what it takes. I have come to the end of my own understanding. I've come to the end of my own strength. God, I don't know that I'm your guy. You've seen what I can do. And God responds, since Moses is at the end of his own sufficiency and his own strength, God says this, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I find it so fascinating that God introduces himself to humanity the first time in this passage. And he introduces him as the God who is self-existent and self-sufficient, meaning, Moses, you finally came to the end of your understanding. Let me show you who I am. 
I am all sufficient. In the beginning, I was. I need no one. I have no power source. I am that I am. I exist without anyone or anything. I always have been. I always will be. My power is unlimited. I lack nothing. Hello, I'll be your father. I'll go with you. Right? And so when we come to the end of our own understanding, God shows up with his sufficiency and his self-existence and he says, I have everything you need. I will be your source. I will be your supply and I will go with you. When we come to the end of our independence, God shows up as the self-existing, self-sufficient God and we now have access to an unlimited source. And Jesus paid the price through his death, burial, and resurrection for us to have access to the source, not on our own merit, not in our own strength, because of Jesus. And when we read the New Testament, and we see every scripture that says we are in him, by him, through him. These are the things that we have because of Jesus. Colossians 2.10 says you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You can get the shirt that says he is enough. I'll allow that one, okay? Right? We may not be enough, but when we come to the end of our own understanding, we discover that he is more than enough. And so the fire starter in this section is this. What areas of my life am I still leaning on my own understanding? Because if we're going to burn that ship, we have to let go. We can come to the end of ourselves and say, God, you have all sufficiency. You have all power. I need you. I will no longer lean on my own understanding. So that brings us to number three. In all your ways, acknowledge him. So Moses accepts the call. We see what happens. And in Exodus 33, 13, he's seeking God for direction. He's out there now in the wilderness with millions of Israelites depending on him. And he's like, God, I cannot handle these people on my own. I need you more than ever. And you see this conversation between Moses and God that continues because Moses has learned what a dependent life looks like and he's unwilling to go forward because he knows this is bigger than him. And the things God has called you to do are way bigger than you can do in your strength. I can't even imagine navigating the camping trip that Moses had for 40 years, right? Like I try to take five people in one tent and a dog and it's like overwhelming. But he had millions and cattle and they're moving and, and, and going and I just can't even imagine the, the, the level of stress that that was on his life. But to that extent, he learned a dependency that he had to have because he knew where God was calling them, he needed God every step of the way. In all his ways, he needed to acknowledge him. And Moses came to that place. In Exodus 33:13. he's asking God for direction. He says, God, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now that I may know you and then I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation, these people you've called me to lead, are your people. And God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses was like, hold up. <laughs> If your presence doesn't go with us, I am not going. This is the level of dependence he came to. He was like, if that's even an option that you're not going, like don't even send us out from here because I am unwilling to move forward without your lead. I must refuse to go anywhere that he is not leading. If we're gonna live a life of dependence on him, we have to refuse to take a step unless he's leading us. And I think when it comes to the purposes in our lives and the things God's placed in our heart, you can go on Amazon right now while I'm still talking and you can find a path to get where you want to go. Professional dog walker, it's on there. Whatever it is, I don't care, CEO, you can find a map to get where you want to go. 
and the steps will be laid out. There was a clear path for them to get to the promised land, and it was a shorter distance, but that is not the path that God led them through. And so we have to burn the maps that the world says, step one, step two, step three, this is how you get to where you want to go because this is how a self-made man and woman does it. But where we're going, we don't need roads. Uh, We don't need a map. Why? Because we have a guide. The Holy Spirit is with us, and God is leading, and he is speaking, and he he is guiding us through every step of the way, but we have to surrender our map and say, God, I refuse to go unless you're leading. I must be dependent upon your word because the minute we think we know the way, we will miss it every time. It's true. It happened in in Moses' life. In Numbers 20, here's what's happening. The people are complaining once again for water, the nerf, right? They need water. And Moses goes to God and he's like, these people, they need water. And God says, okay, go out to the rock, speak to the rock, and water will come. Well, what happened is Moses found himself in familiar territory. Because just a few chapters before that, the people were thirsty then. And Moses went to God and he said, God, the people are thirsty. And God said, well, go to the rock, take your rod, tap the rock, and water's going to come out. So he did it and he saw the success with that plan. And so when God brought him down this familiar road, he decided to take matters into his own hand. And instead of speaking to the rock, Moses taps the rock again. Water comes out, but it costs Moses something precious. In Numbers 20, 12, it says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I'm giving them. He knew what God had spoken But because it was familiar, because he was disobedient, I'm not exactly sure, but he took matters back into his own hands, and it cost him. The most costly mistakes in my life have been when I've leaned on my own understanding. Think about your life. I think, I thought, I I thought it was going this way, and what happens, we lean on our own understanding, and it costs us. A life of dependence means that we have to lean not on our own understanding. We have to remember that I do not know the way. I don't know the way. I don't know what he's going to do this time. I've decided to throw my map away, and he's got the map right now. I have to follow his words and not my way. His words. Psalms 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. What place does God's word have in our life on a daily basis? Because a dependent life that's fully and totally dependent on him has to have this as the anchor. Because I will wake up with a new idea and a new plan every single day. I will think I'm in familiar territory and this is the way we go and I'll make a wrong turn. But if I take this gift... And I use it as my anchor, and I put my life as a life of dependency that's anchored to God's word. He will lead me. He will guide my path. He will show me the way if I put his word in the proper place of my life. So the fire starter here is this. What place does God's word have in my life? Is it, I'm just like trying to keep my streak up on the Bible app? Or am I just like, what's, where is it at? Or is it the anchor that's holding me to? 
every step of the way that I refuse to step unless he's called me and guide me, guided me that way. Dependent people do not lean on their own understanding. And the fourth thing is really the promise that he will direct your paths. God will direct our paths. How many times have we asked God for number four without doing one, two, or three, right? God, show me what to do. Speak to my situation. Direct me. Make it clear. Make it plain. I need to know what's next. But we have still held on to our own strength, our own sufficiency, and we still have DIY'd our destiny. But we're asking him to speak. Isaiah 30, 21 says this, your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. A life of dependency gets the gift of hearing God speak to the situations in our lives. We invite God to speak with our trust and our dependence and our surrender and our unwillingness to move unless he speaks. We invite him to speak. We give him space to speak. We allow him to have the loudest voice in our lives. And when we do that, he speaks. He directs. He guides. That's who he is. In Exodus 34, 29, Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands. He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. I love that mental picture because, like I said, I can't imagine the weight that Moses carried and the dependency of, like, God, these people are counting on me, and I have got to hear from you. So he went to the tent. He went to the mountain. He went daily because he depended on God's direction and on his voice, and he knew that he could not go without it. Imagine the confidence that he had coming down from that mountain. His face was alive and radiant that people could see because he heard from God. And as God calls you and us as a church into places that are unfamiliar and we begin to do things that stretch us out of our comfort zone and have conversations with people with an app in a coffee shop and we're like, what am I doing? But I'm loving people and it feels uncomfortable and I don't know how to do this, but I know that God is calling me to do it. The confidence comes from his voice in our life and people will see it and they'll notice it. And it will be radiating from us when God's voice is at the center of everything we do. How do I know God wants to give us that gift of his voice? Because that's what Jesus promised. In John 16, verse 13, he said this, When the Spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. God longs to speak to the situations of our lives. He wants to direct our paths. He wants to guide us. He wants to shepherd us. He wants to lead us. He wants to speak to us. But that comes as a result of a life of total dependence on him. I refuse to go anywhere he isn't leading. I refuse to lean on my own understanding. I refuse to walk in my own strength. God, you have to speak. Dependence is developed daily. And we can depend on him for direction. We can depend on him for discernment. His voice is sustaining in times that are hard, in times that are heavy. You're going to be tempted to put your own destiny back on your back because that's what we learn. Like when things are great, God, of course you're leading me. It's awesome. 
feels good, but when it gets hard is when we're most tempted to do it on our own, to retreat and to shrink back and to go back to self-sufficiency because that's a coping mechanism. We learned it. For some of you, that is the drive that got you to the top of your game. And you've seen the success that happens when you are self-sufficient and you are scared to let that go because you think letting that go means letting your drive go. Let me let you in on a little secret. That is your cap. It got you to where you are now, but it cannot take you where God is calling you. The only place, the only way to get where God is calling you is to let go of that and in total surrender say, God, I want everything you have for me. I can't do it in my own strength. We can have a life of self-sufficiency and independence, or we can have God's plan for our lives. But we can't have both. God wants to speak to the situations in our lives. And my prayer is that we would become a people that are so dependent on him that in our conversations and in our workplaces and in our communities, we are known because we are literally radiating with his presence in our lives because we're so dependent on it. It won't be easy, but nothing worth having ever is. He's with us. And I believe today in this place, you might find yourself in that place of desolation, maybe in that place of weariness because you've been carrying your destiny on your back. I believe God wants to speak in this moment to those places in your heart and in your life. He wants to remind you that he's got this. You know, a couple years ago, my son Jackson, our youngest, he was 10 at the time, and we put him in parkour lessons. And if you don't know what parkour lessons are, or parkour, it's basically like jumping walls, climbing things, and being a boy. But we put him in lessons so that he could learn to do those things without killing himself. So uh, he started these classes, and he was so excited because it was just like he was born for this. Like he knew this was his place. This was his jam. These were his people. And he was so, so excited. And I remember when he walked in, I said, Jackson, I know you feel really good at all this stuff. I just want to remind you, you got to be teachable. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you don't know everything. You're new. Like you need to be teachable. And he's like, all right, and he went in, and he, he was not teachable. Like, he was so excited. Like, he wanted to show all the things he knew and all the things he could do on his own, and I could kind of see his instructor getting a little irritated with him, but I, I kind of just reminded him after, hey, Jackson, remember the word teachable, and it went on a couple weeks like this, and finally, the third week after the lesson, the teacher, the coach called us over, and he said, Jackson, can I talk to you and your mom? He said, yeah, and you could tell he looked nervous, and like, this wasn't going to be a good conversation. And he said, uh, I got to talk to you about being teachable. Like, you don't, like, you don't know everything, and you're kind of showing off. And, you're ta- and you could see Jackson's face just, like, dejected in that moment. His head started hanging. He was kind of looking out of the corner of his eyes at me like, oh, my gosh, my mom is going to kill me because she's told me about this, and she's going to be so mad. And it was like right in that moment, shame just, like, came heavy on his shoulders. We left and we walked to the car and I didn't say anything because I'm like, I don't even need to parent in this moment because the consequences of this are teaching him more than I ever would with my words. So we got in the car and I said, Jackson, how do you feel? Mom, I I feel so stupid right now. And I go, yeah. It's like, I just, I should have listened to you. I wasn't teachable. And now I just feel really stupid. And And you could just see his head like hang down in shame. It's like, I know, buddy, that's really hard talked about and I said you know I want 
can I pray for you right now? And he said, yeah, mom, you can pray. And so I prayed and I just said, God, we're sorry. I'm sorry. I wasn't teachable. Help me to learn in this moment. And I said, hey, Jackson, I think, I think I'm going to pray. And I want you to pray and ask God to speak to your heart right now because I think you need to hear from God. He said, okay. And I said, so close your eyes and let's just ask God, like, God, what do you want to say to me right now? And so he did. And his face was, his eyes were closed. And about 30 seconds later, he opened his eyes and I said, did you hear anything? Did God speak to your heart? And he goes, yeah. What did, what did God say? And he said, mom, God said, you are Jackson Larson, son of Brad Larson, the greatest man alive. And I thought to myself, well, if he's so great, where is he right now? You know what I'm saying? Sorry, babe. I was like, and why does the Holy Spirit not think I'm great? But that's just like, but don't miss this. What did God speak to him in that moment? Identity. He reminded Jackson of whose he was and the family that he came from. And it was like he picked up his little face, looked him in the eyes and said, you, you got this, I'm with you. And in the places of our lives where we have bootstrapped it and tried to make it happen and scotch taped it so the world thinks we've got it all together in our own strength and we can proudly say, look what I did all by myself. God shows up and says, hey, can I remind you who you are? Can I remind you who I've called you to be and where I want to take you? You need me. You're my child. And I believe right here in this moment, he wants to speak to us exactly where we are. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And we're going to ask him just to, just like I did with Jackson, God, tell me what I need to know right now. God, would you speak to every heart in this place? Even if hearing from you is weird and hard for them, God, would you put something on their heart, whether it's peace, love, let them sense you right now, God. What do you want to say to us right now? driest, most desolate places in your heart, the shame, the ways that you try to do it yourself and you just feel like a failure, the exhaustion that comes when we do it on our own. He's right here, right now, speaking into those places and I hope you're sensing him. Lift your chin up, look you in the eyes and say, I got you. I'm with you. You can depend on me. You can trust me. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.